a solemn welcome to what is the final episode, at least this year, of Wes and conversations about the films of Wes Anderson, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. And in a better, closer to perfect world, I would love to tell you that the name of this episode is the French Liz Patch of the Wilberty, Kansas Evening Sun. <laughs> but regrettably, uh, we haven't seen that film. And so this just is just episode 10, the bonus episode, all about uh, Wes Anderson. I'm Will, and I'm with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Will. How are you, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm I'm doing a okay. Um, I'm feeling uh, reflective, uh, but uh, excited. Are you as feeling? Well. Are you feeling thankful? I feel quite yes. I feel quite thankful. <laughs> it's it's just as we scheduled it for for this to be uh, a moment of uh, <laughs> sincere gratitude. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I uh, it's like a, the fir- It's like finally it had gotten cold and then sort of warmed up again here, and mm-hmm. like where it was like in the 70s again. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's like kind of chilly today for the first day. Like I think the high was only like 60 flat. Mm-hmm. But a high of 60 flat is like you know it was in the 40s all morning, and um, so I took Elliot to a playground that he requested. And then I got a really bad headache, but then I closed my eyes for like a solid 30-minute power nap before this call, and now I'm feeling better. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that last part. We don't have a film to discuss, and because we don't have a feature film uh, that we watched for this episode, we have a a different kind of agenda. Mm -hmm. And here is the agenda as I see it. Uh, we watched several short films and commercials mm-hmm. that we will talk about a little bit. Uh, Liz, you want to talk about The Squid and the Whale. Yeah. Uh, we'll have time for that. Uh, I have a game that I want to play with you. Ooh. Uh, we need to expand our conversation about actors mm-hmm. who can and can't work with Wes Anderson. Uh, we have some uh, feedback that uh, I can share. Ooh. And uh, I want to uh, wrap it up by, uh, well, we have to do our rankings. Yes. And we have to talk a little bit about the future and what we may do next. Can we start with a little bit of old business, which were things that I forgot to talk about? (laughs) Please. Old business. So um, the thing that I just want to go grab is this. Which we had talked about. Do you want to say what this is? It's a copy of Fantastic Mr. Fox. I did. I got it from the library. I read it in one sitting. Nice. Well, while Elliot was eating dinner, and I just wanted to talk really quick about the tone of the book. I'm as I've discussed many times. I'm really forgiving to adaptations, and clearly, I think the adaptation of Fantastic Mr. Fox is good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was interesting to see how this book differed just i think it's one of the few not one of the few the thing with adaptations is that very often when they're adaptations of books a lot of things get cut out Mm -hmm. the exception of that is when they try to make adaptations of children's books right because that means they add a bunch of stuff yes 
And this lands, of course, on the children's book side, but very close to actually just adapting the whole book the way it is. Mm -hmm. It's just more that they sort of expanded on chunks of it. Right. So the first thing is that no other animals in this book show up until page 48. And it's a, let's see. That looks pretty far in. Yeah. It's a 80-page book. Okay. So there was a point when I was reading this when I thought, this is just going to be about Mr. Fox. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In the book, he also has four children. Right. And Mrs. Fox is very on board with his thief plan. Mm -hmm. And then they do dig him out, and they have to dig and dig and dig and dig. And that's when you meet the other animals is they run into Badger, which is great that he ends up being one of the main characters because he is like the main character here. And they're like, everybody's stuck, which is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it ends with them basically doing the three big heists and then them all having a big feast. Right. In that big feast, they list basically all of the animals that show up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought that they did a really good job with that. The other main difference that I thought was interesting was the um, bogus Bunsen beans are like more like hillbillies. Yeah. Uh, so they say Bean for Bean, who's of course the meanest one. Bean was a turkey and apple farmer. He kept thousands of turkeys in an orchard full of apple trees. He never ate any food at all. Instead, he drank gallons of strong cider which he made from the apples in his orchard. He was thin as a pencil and the cleverest of them all. But then, like, his picture is him, like, in, like, a field Mm -hmm. (laughs) surrounded by turkeys and, like, a vest and, like, some pants that don't seem to fit well. There's a part where he doesn't hear them because it says that he has so much earwax in his ears. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's, like, very gross. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a really, really quick read. And... It's sort of a good children's book in that it's just mostly about these animals being tricky and then winning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's very little tension. Right. But that must be so thrilling when you're a child. So that was Book Club Corner. Well done. <laughs> um, uh, the, what other old business do you have? The other thing that I kept forgetting to talk about for Moonrise Kingdom, which was mm. a race thing, which I didn't bring up, but I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the cultural appropriation of Native American imagery. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there are no Native people in or Indigenous people in Moonlight Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But um, we have a couple of images of like teepees and um, headdresses on like, I think his canoe and mm-hmm. also sort of in the background. And then at one of the camps, there's a boy that's wearing a full headdress. Mm-hmm. And you just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where I also get it that, like, cowboys and Indians, quote unquote, is like a definite, like, has been a longstanding trope for boys. And so Boy Scouts would likely be people, like, from the 60s or fr- 1965, right? Would be. Right participating in that but it's also not a histor it's not a like a a biopic yes right (laughs) you're you're saying you're not you're not beholden to any facts but Mm -hmm. also it's one of the few wes anderson films that is like 
specifically a period piece because it it explicitly says what what year it is. Yeah. And so um you know you can you can pick and choose how you evoke that. Mm-hmm. Um this is also uh not a period piece but uh related in a different way part of the conversation about the film uh Parasite. Um did you ever see Parasite yet? Yeah, I did. How? <laughs> the 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 rich family's boy loves uh Indian stuff. Oh he, god, he has, I forgot he has about a that. teepee in the yard and his birthday right. party is all like Indian right. themed and so they wear like headdresses which when is the even whole weirder. Climax is going down. Um yeah, cuz it's a South Korean film. Yeah. Um but obviously like that, you know, the boy probably, you know, has seen American western films yeah. and loves it for that reason has gotten that version of it. And so, yeah, it's sort of like Moonrise Kingdom, you have that imagery, you can sort of paint over it by saying it's a period piece, but mm-hmm. you know, also maybe that that's no good reason to do it and then you know parasite which is a beloved movie that that very few people are spending any time you know trying to take down in any significant way unless you know i don't know unless you're just like a racist in the white house who's just (laughs) like what one best picture um well that movie also has but that also the movie also has its its imagery which is appropriation which is odd and you can paint over it by saying like, well, it's the rich people who are perpetuating this and they're, you know, ignorant. They are the and parasites. Well, arguably, yes. But they're, they're, they they uh, are portrayed as like ignorant in their privilege. And so yeah. it, it's something that it makes sense for them to be doing. But also there's a lot of other things that you could have them doing instead that would make yeah. just as much sense and wouldn't necessarily be appropriation of this kind yeah and i i mean clearly if native american people are saying don't do that in parasite then fine i'm not gonna argue with that but i do think it's interesting from because when i watched that movie first off i thought it was going to be a horror movie and it wasn't (laughs) i mean it gets sort of gory at the end but it wasn't like it's a a, it's a suspense movie more, more than anything else and um I was like, oh, these people are, like, lying to be able to work for these, like, rich people. And then, you know, eventually I was like, no, Liz, you know how capitalism works. (laughs) (laughs) Like, these people are rich because they're parasites off low-income people. And so it makes sense. It's very weird that it's this very American trope in this South Korean movie. But it also makes sense in the sense that if the – if the writer and the director were trying to say they are parasitic even beyond the bounds of their own country and mm-hmm. their own culture. Yeah. Um, Bong Joon-ho, the filmmaker, has a great quote from an interview that you know made the rounds uh, on uh, uh, the internet over a year ago. Um, we've talked about this movie before. I wouldn't be surprised if I've mentioned the, the quote before on the podcast, oh, but, but it's, um, he, he's, uh, saying, I'm just paraphrasing from, from memory. He says something like, 
I set out to make a uniquely Korean story. This is, you know, speaking mm-hmm. specifically to a phenomenon I've witnessed in Korea. I never expected it to be so relatable to so many people all over the world. Uh, it turns out that we all live in the same country and oh, it's a country yeah. called capitalism. <laughs> right. That's the part I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's all my old business. I just, I felt cool. really, um, not bad, but I just was like, I really need to get that Moonrise Kingdom thing in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first thing on my edge? Oh yeah. So the shorts. So yes. do you want, uh, what do you, what, let's start at the beginning. I'm assuming you put them in chronological order. Maybe that's a bad assumption. More or less. Okay. I, I, I mean, it, it, it's clear where to start chronologically, which yes. is with the bottle rocket short, which played at Sundance and preceded the feature film of the same name. Mm -hmm. So uh, we watched all these things on YouTube and there are links in the show notes if you haven't watched them yet when you're hearing this. Uh, What uh, thoughts do you uh, have about this? It was really interesting because it really did feel like the Reader's Digest abridged version (laughs) of Bottle Rocket. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the fact that they go to rob the bookstore and then we don't actually see them rob the bookstore. We just get a sort of description of it is right. like a very um, like a storytelling thing that's very interesting that if that were to be in like a short story class, somebody might say, oh, you should really just like show us the bookstore robbing. Like, why are we only hearing about it? Um, right. And the answer is because it's a short film. And then in the, mo- in the full movie, it gets there. Right. I also uh, do you want to talk about the thing we both noticed and were quite excited about? Yeah, I think we we both noticed the same, probably three things, and we've <laughs> already talked about two of them. The one that I was very excited by and shared with Dana, and she did not know what I was talking about. And she's watched all <laughs> these films along with me. Was but has uh, she watched this film as many times as I have? N- no one has. Um, <laughs> It's a connection to the Life Aquatic, which is the uh, in the Bottle Rocket short, the guy who sells them a gun. Mm-hmm. He's in he's in the short. He's wearing the Dr Pepper branded "I'm a Pepper" T shirt, like the exact same one, which we talked about in the Life Aquatic episode because yeah. we see it on Jeff Goldblum uh, when he's uh, uh, held captive by the pirates yes. uh, and rescued by Team Zizou. I I have to tell you I I think that guy definitely from seeing you know documentary behind the scenes stuff on YouTube that mm-hmm. guy is definitely not an actor that guy mm-hmm. is definitely like a local yes. who who they knew and so put them in their movie first the short and then also the feature I suspect that that was just his own t-shirt like I like yes. I don't think that that was like a wardrobe choice by Wes Anderson, I think everybody was just wearing what they were wearing, you know, their own clothes. And so when it comes to the life aquatic and dressing Jeff Goldblum's character in that shirt as a as a wardrobe choice, I think that that is probably inspired by not just the short, the bottle rocket short, but inspired by that, like the that real guy. life guy yeah. who who had that shirt. Which is and so I, funny. I'd also have to imagine that Wes Anderson probably thought that shirt was so funny. Like right. probably thought like this guy's coming to, you know, to be in my film 
where he's selling these guys guns and this is the shirt he chose. That's right. so funny. And yeah. so I can like hear him being so bemused by that and yeah. then being like, and, I got to do it again. And Jeff Goldblum is wearing that shirt in the movie when he gets shot with a yes. gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing you texted me about was uh, Andrew Wilson. His name is in the credits for the short. Yeah. He's not in the film. He doesn't appear in the film. He is credited as the, uh, I'm going to say this in the American way. He is credited as consigliere. Yeah, consigliere. It's it's a uh, trusted friend specifically to a mob boss. <laughs> and then um, the third thing is, of course, the, um, you, do you know what I'm going to say? Uh, no, just say it. The um, uh, Peanuts music. Yes, yes. And in fact, Kenny noticed that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, it's, it is funny how consistent he is. And I had said to Kenny too how you had pointed out that the Fantastic Mr. Fox dancing must be like also related to Charlie, a Charlie Brown Christmas special. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, all those TV specials. We've talked about the Charlie Brown one over and over again, but also Wes Anderson has mentioned, um, you know, in the context of talking about his stop motion movies, I've got my uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer mm-hmm. t-shirt on today, Christmas gift from my parents last year. Uh, you know, those uh, Rankin Bass uh, claymation specials. Yeah. He's uh, also cited them as an influence as well. So it's funny that like, you know, it's they're both TV specials and they're both, you know, Christmas uh, time traditions. It's yeah. it's, uh, it's just a funny coincidence of like a th- the type of thing that would seep uh, into his work uh, makes, and so it, prominently. It makes a lot of sense. For, it makes sense to me that he likes Christmas. I put that mm-hmm. in like loose scare quotes because mm-hmm. Christmas so often has really elaborate decorations. Yeah. Which is like his shit. Right. So like a window display is like, I mean, that must have just been like heaven for him when he was a kid. Right. Even just like I'm thinking about my grandmother's house when I was a kid. I mean, my grandmother decorated um, and all four of the... Oh, maybe not all four. Two of the end tables in her living room had Christmas trees on them that had their own specific sets of decorations. And then in the marine room, there was another Christmas tree that had uh, gold and red balls on it uh, for the Marines with these little deer underneath. And it was just like each area had its own little like diorama almost. Sorry, did you say in the marine room? Oh, (laughs) Right. You didn't um, grow up in my life. Um, my grandfather <laughs> had a basement in his house um, that was the Marine Room. <laughs> That's what uh-huh. he called it. He was in the Marines. Okay. <laughs> and um, it had green, red, and gold plaid carpet mm-hmm. and a green, red, and gold couch, set of couches. Sure. And... Um, God, I feel bad that I can't remember. I guess the wall, I guess it had dark wood paneling halfway up the wall and then like cream walls. And then he had all of his um, marine paraphernalia up on the walls. So his like mm-hmm. sword, I don't know, dog tags, I think. Yeah. Some sort of painting and a giant carpet that was that we ha- we have now that has the marine symbol on it. 
But yes, that was the marine room. Very side note, but it is related to Christmas. I was driving with my friends Kathy and Jess once and saw in New Jersey and saw this building that it was a stone building and there was a like a tunnel in the middle of it that you could drive through. So mm-hmm. it was both like a gate and a building, mm-hmm. like a, the size of like a house. Yeah. And I just said, oh, a Santa Claus house. And they both looked at me like I, like you just did when I said Marine Room, like that was a mm. normal thing. And mm-hmm. I then had to explain in a way that did not make sense that there was another one of these houses in Harrisburg <laughs> that when we were a kid, my dad always called Santa's house. Mm. And it was because his dad had always called it Santa's house. And I don't, I think there's some, I think it was some sort of joke, but I don't totally know where it came from. Uh-huh. And it, it ironically is, maybe not ironically, weirdly, both of these buildings were the gates to a cemetery. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> but I just said it like it was a normal thing. And then mm-hmm. suddenly I had to remember it was not a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So is that, can we move on from the bottle rocket short? The only thing I want to say about that too, is that like Wes or not Wes, um, Owen and, um, Luke are wearing like the same clothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I wanted to say about, um, there is a guy that's in the first three Wes Anderson movies and I'm going to look him up on IMDb right now. And I should have done this before. Um, that I think is also in the short and in. Bottle Rocket, he's one of the bookstore employees. I forget who he plays in the Royal Tenenbaums. His name's Deepak Palana. Mm-hmm. And he's the teacher in Rushmore in the dream sequence. That's the very beginning. Yeah. But I think that he is in the short too, but I think you see him for like not I think he's only not blurry for like a third of a second. Uh-huh. Um, but I wanted to bring him up because also in terms of our conversations about race, like this guy hasn't really acted besides those three movies at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and he is, I mean, I guess hypothetically Indian, but he's just there. (laughs) He just plays these small roles three times. Yeah. And before we move on, I just wanted to say my impression of the bottle rocket short, you know, it being black and white. And it starts with them talking about like an episode of Starsky and Hutch. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, this seems like the perfect blend of like, you could easily say that like, okay, the two inspirations on this were Reservoir Dogs and Clerks. Mm-hmm. I checked the timing. One of those doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm. Clerks was the same year as this, so that oh, was yeah, probably so. not a direct inspiration. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think uh, to bring up Tarantino again, I think that Bottle Rocket probably doesn't exist without Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. That makes sense. So the next short that we have to talk about is the Hotel Chevalier, which Liz has been waiting to talk about forever. So you have the floor. Okay, so first off, have you seen, I don't know if you've seen these tweets. I've seen this tweet a bunch of times, and it's always a genuine question, where somebody on writer Twitter will be like, can you tell me a short story that has a good example of dialogue that isn't Hills Like White Elephants? Mm-hmm. And when I think about dialogue, I think about the Hotel Chevalier. Okay. 
so what is the Hotel Chevalier? It's a short. It's technically listed as the Darjeeling Limited Part 1 in the credits. Yes. It stars Jason Schwartzman playing the same character that he played in the Darjeeling Limited, because it's the same thing. And then Natalie Portman is playing his girlfriend. It was released on iTunes as a free download, which is how I saw it for the first time. Same. And um, then, of course, like I said, I didn't see the Darjeeling Limited for a while because I tried to see it when my grandfather died and my aunt would not let me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically the idea is Jason Schwartzman is just kind of depressed in his hotel room Mm -hmm. when he gets a call from his ex-girlfriend saying that she's on her way from the airport. Natalie Portman has really short hair. Do you know why? V for Vendetta. This was filmed right after V for Vendetta, right after she filmed, you know, cut off all her hair for V for Vendetta. Um, I don't know how close. I don't know if she'd gotten it trimmed or something, but her hair had not regrown out yet. Yeah. And the whole time there's this tension between how much the other person wants them to be there Mm -hmm. and what they are and are not going to do. Right. So, like, she gets there and goes to kiss him and he sideswipes just for a hug um but he has also sort of quickly cleaned up the apartment and drawn a bath for her Mm -hmm. he's just ordered a grilled cheese sandwich (laughs) and so that comes back up she's chewing on this toothpick the whole time which she like i mean this is this is also like everything in this short is like incredibly um delicate like i can feel natalie portman sort of goes through and touches all of his little objects a lot of which will show up in the Darjeeling Limited, um, including those little music boxes that his mm-hmm. mother later plays. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, like, the way that she moves her hands, it's like she's almost, like, it's like her hands are animatronic. Mm. Like, her fingers are always bent in kind of a weird way. They're never exactly soft. They're always, like, manipulating things at, like, right angles. Um, she takes this toothpick out and, like, balances it on the top of a container when she brushes her teeth mm-hmm. and then when the food comes um she takes the same she picks up one of the like things that goes over food when you're getting it at a hotel to keep it hot and sticks her toothpick into the food drops the thing on and her and Jason Schwartzman start making out and then they keep stopping to talk to each other She's like, did you sleep with anyone? And he's, he pauses for like a beat and says, no. And then he says, did you? And she pauses for like three beats and says, no. And they both look at each other and he says, that was a very long pause. Mm-hmm. And she's like, it doesn't really matter, does it? Um, but then he starts undressing her, which is another thing. This mo- This short is like maybe the sexiest Wes Anderson thing. Yeah, the most sexual, definitely. I mean, it's got Natalie Portman in it, so. By default. Um, But then also she's got bruises all over her body. Yep. Then they have the exchange, with which ends up being in the short story that he writes, um, where she says, you know, no matter what happens, I still, I still want us to be friends or something like that. And he says, we will never be friends. Um, which, wow, what a thing to hear as a young person. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like, what a development. You mean for a, you. Like, when you're, when one is a young person, I don't think I'm alone in this, and 
you're thinking, well, I'm going to be with somebody and then I'm going to break up with them, but maybe we'll still be friends. And especially in high school when I think a lot of times people are still friends with people they dated in high school because it's so short and then also they're just all in this bubble all the time. To see something where somebody is saying, we could have sex right now, but we will never be friends. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's dark. <laughs> sure. And then we we don't know what they do end up doing, but it ends with her naked in this like very specific pose leaning against a table. And he brings her the iconic Hotel Chevalier robe, which he then is wearing in the Darjeeling Limited. And they look outside at his view of Paris, and then they go back inside. And who who's to say what happens then? I love this short. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are your thoughts now that I've just like thrown up all over the place? <laughs> I guess uh, from rewatching this, uh, I was struck by how familiar it was. Mm-hmm. Even though um, it's been several years since I last saw it, and I, I sort, I guess I sort of underestimated the impression that it left on me from mm. when I saw it when it was new. And the other thing uh, it made me think of was our conversation about how uh, some of the actors that we've talked about and discussed whether or not they could ever be in a Wes Anderson movie. Sometimes they're kind of on the line and we've mentioned, you have to consider like, well, if just the right role was written for them, Mm -hmm. then, then, then it could work. Um, But that's not necessarily the typical type of role that we expect to see Wes Anderson write for one of his movies. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, I was like, Oh, okay. Natalie Portman seems like she might transcend the uh, world of uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, But uh, this works. And it's because um, as written, like she, she plays like the devil. Yeah. Yeah. And she plays an incredibly masculine character. And Mm. I'm, and I think part of, I mean, I think that her haircuts like, contributing to this a little bit right but it's absolutely not just her haircut like she's clearly the aggressor so to speak Mm -hmm. she's the one that's coming unannounced she's the one that i think broke up with him Mm -hmm. um and yet here she is saying basically i don't know using him in some way it's it's unclear what her motives are she's got this like pink blouse on underneath her coat but for a long time, she's just wearing her coat, which is this, like, wool. It's not a trench coat exactly, but it's, like, a long coat. It's got, like, really strong buttons in the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's part of the reason, like, she's that, – that she works here. Because she's mm-hmm. playing a character that's sort of antithetical to the characters I feel like she normally plays. <laughs> right, yeah. And and it, it, it is perhaps uh, because it's a short – like this type of character in a feature, you know, maybe they would be necessarily just supporting. Maybe they would necessarily mm-hmm. be relegated to like just one scene or one section of the movie to be like a main character. Maybe they would have to be fleshed out into more of a 
uh, hum- uh, like three-dimensional, you know, human being. Yeah. Um, but um, just in this, you know, short story kind of uh, form, it allows her to be uh, like a uh, sort of s- almost supernatural force uh, uh, ra- rather than like a grounded character. Something that I always, always, always wondered about when I was a young person that I just, I think I just sort of figured out maybe a theory about when I watched it this past week was why does she have bruises on her body? When he brings it up, she does this shrug. It's this tiny movement where she's just like, eh. But I feel like her I hate saying backstory, but like what's going on with her is that she was with somebody and that person hurt her, like Mm -hmm. physically hurt her. Yeah. And the reason she's here now is because she's going back to the place where she knows she has control Mm -hmm. and where she knows she's safe. And so when he says, did you sleep with anyone? And she says, no, it's a very long pause, I think, because. I think it was probably pretty complicated whatever happened in the mm-hmm. interim between the times that they saw each other. Um, and I think it's related to the fact that she has bruises on her body, which, which I think does really complicate her as a character. Do you want to talk about the Hotel Chevalier in relation to the Darjeeling Limited? Um, I'm interested if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, I think that it does work really nicely as a prologue. Sure. Um, I think it gives us a sense of um jason schwartzman's character i think it does a really interesting job of sort of establishing the little objects that he has that have me that then will have meaning throughout the film as well as the suitcase Mm -hmm. um and i think it also does well to show at least where one of these brothers is physically which is that you know these brothers are all coming together in india but he's in paris right so it's i think it add something there where it's like these brothers are used to traveling Mm -hmm. and so it's not so weird that they would all just go to india right it's not like you know if my mom went to india all of a sudden i'd be like you haven't traveled more than two hours from our house i can tell you exactly it was at our friend lauren's wedding (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i paid for her plane ticket so right yeah and 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 he's away from home and part of the you know the question of how long have you been here and Mm -hmm. and i think she says at some point like you you should go back home or something like that um and so yeah that feeds very well into not only the international you know globetrotting nature of the darjeeling limited but also like the time that the uh character is going through yeah. Uh, which is similar to what his brothers are going through as well. Yeah. And I'm sort of sad that they actually didn't play it in theaters ahead of the movie. Except for when they did. Okay. So they did sometimes. Yes. I think it okay. didn't start that way. But then um, to the extent that it got a wider release, I think mm-hmm. uh, it was provided to the cinemas. Uh, yeah. So I think that there were times and there were theaters where you saw them all together. 
They definitely are two separate things, for mm-hmm. sure. Like, even tonally, they're separate from one another. They're distinct, yeah. Um, But I do think that they have a little semicolon between them. I think mm-hmm. that they're stronger together. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, yeah, the rest uh, is all um, kind of varying degrees of BS. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't really care how much or how little we talk about them. Um, was there anything that jumped out to you that you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. The first is that, um, the Wes Anderson American Express commercial is almost too good. Yes. It's so funny. And so it's like, I almost feel it's like, it's like somebody, it's like Wes Anderson wrote his own dialogue, which I'm sure that he did. But I also mean, it's like, some sort of like hyper Wes Anderson wrote Wes Anderson that dialogue. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yes. Like some it, greater force than Wes Anderson. <laughs> right. Because it's so self-aware. Yeah. That it has like, okay, here's the sort of heightened um, and just, you know, just honing in on the persona and what we know about him from his work sort of uh, version of him. Um, and he's really good in it. And it's really yeah. funny. Warris is in it. Mm-hmm. Jason Schwartzman is in it. Yep. Um, he puts on a a baseball cap at the end, which is particularly funny because I feel like Wes Anderson's never worn a baseball cap in his life. Yeah, maybe not. But it <laughs> also maybe it, as a child. It feels like a director thing to me. It feels like a choice. Yeah, because of Ron yeah. Howard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe. But also, even just the way that he describes making a movie as this sort of procedural thing, which he describes very simply, where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, you uh, first you have to have a story, and then, you know, you've got to have characters, and, you know, eventually you just put it all together, and then it's a movie. Well, it's a funny joke that he keeps getting interrupted, but yeah. <laughs> he he continues talking as if he's not picking up from where he left off when he was interrupted. It's yeah. as if he said what he was going to say when he was interrupted. And so he, and, and so at the end it's like, and that's it. And, and so, but really, you know, we got like nothing. It's yeah. fun. It's a funny bit. Um, what did you have a next thing? Oh, just that it just feels like a very niche commercial though. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's the fun. The funny thing is that it sort of is, and it sort of isn't. Um, Cause like, yeah, everybody, Everybody knows what that is, mm-hmm. but, but nobody, but, but you can't expect everybody to like know his whole body. It's like everybody knows what his thing is without necessarily like com- really com- like completely knowing his like body of work. Yeah, for sure. Because a lot of people haven't seen a lot of the stuff that he's made. Is there something else you want to talk about with that? Or do you want to talk about one of these commercials? No, I'll talk about a different one. I mean, okay. we I mean, we just straight up have to acknowledge, for the sake of acknowledging it, there's not much else to say about it, that Brad, put, that Brad Pitt is in one of the commercials. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that Brad Pitt has, in fact, worked with Wes Anderson in a commercial uh, for, that ran in Japan, I guess. Yeah, for apparently. a bank. Or a cell phone. Yeah, something. I it's wasn't totally Soft sure. It's called SoftBank, but I think it's a cell phone ad. <laughs> um, so yeah, Kenny possible. pointed that out to me. Yeah. 
and and that feel that feels like it feels like well this is the only opportunity that we're gonna get yeah so let's just do the <laughs> do this yeah so that we know each other i remember the h&m commercial the one with adrian brody right yes on okay. the train mm-hmm. the christmas train limited the sure polar express limited <laughs> come together and i remember it because um i think i actually saw it like on tv or whatever Mm. um and then either went to youtube to watch the whole thing or something but um it's it's also very very wes anderson-y like it scrolls across the windows of each of the compartments and each window has a present in it that has a photograph on the front of it Mm -hmm. which like what even is that (laughs) (laughs) it's just like it just feels like oh that's just a wes anderson thing he did right um but the other thing about that commercial, which I we got to the end of it, I was like crying, and Kenny was like crying, and I was like, "This is stupid." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I shouldn't be crying at this stupid commercial mm-hmm. for H and M." Yeah, but it's really hard for me not to cry when I see a small child delighted by the magic Christmas. Yes, especially when he thought that Christmas would be taken away from them because the train is running late. And because he's an unaccompanied minor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, the whole commercial thing is pretty funny to me because it feels very transparent that somebody decided, well, we would like our brand to be associated with like the sort of aesthetic thing that Wes Anderson does. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, well, we have enough money. Let's just get the real Wes Anderson <laughs> right, to yeah. make a, a, an ad for us. Um, and, and it's effective, um, but it's also uh, kind of weird in that way. But, you know, I guess directors make commercials and music videos all the time. And we just don't think about it that much, or at least yeah. I don't. Um, music videos make sense to me, though. Sure, you know, yeah, that's... That's a, just art on art. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a different medium. I, the other thing I want to say about the H&M one, too, is the moment where he pulls the bags in from the, like, from the window mm-hmm. that he, like, hooks in the yeah. old-timey way. Right. When Adrian Brody... Pull, first off, Adrian Brody has a very silly mustache. Adrian Brody looks good in a mustache if you think good is silly. <laughs> and... um he pulls out a Santa hat and just shoves it on the guy next to him. Mm-hmm. It's very, very funny. Yeah. Um, what did you think of uh, Costello Cavalcanti? That was just like a short film. I have no idea what that was for. What was that for? Uh, well, it was... A if you say Costello Cavalcanti, I'm going to say, well, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, no. It, it's, uh, it, well, it's presented by Prada. Mm. Um, and in fact, Jason Schwartzman, you see the back of his jacket at one point and he's, he's racing for the, the Prada racing team. Uh. Uh, um, but it's not a commercial in the same way that like the H and M thing was a commercial. Yeah. Um, I think it's just like a brand partnership basically mm-hmm. is like, yeah, it is, it's a short film rather than an advertisement, but it's got Prada's name on it. So in that way, it's like sort of an advertisement um, in a different way. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, I, it, it's like a fun, like, what is it? Like seven, like a fun seven It's like a fun minutes. jaunt. Yeah. Um, and there was one part, um, that, uh, made me laugh that I think is just like a very clever turn of phrase. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it's when he realizes where he is and the way that he frames it, uh, he keeps repeating it, but it keeps like devolving, uh, the, the way that he says it, he says, First, he said, you know, he's discovered that he's in his ancestral uh, hometown, his Mm -hmm. family's hometown. And he says to all the people around him, you know, shaking hands with them. He says, "Uh, I think uh, I think you are my ancestors, (laughs) You're my ancestors. And then the last thing he says is we're ancestors. Yeah, yeah. I also really laughed when he crashed the car initially Mm -hmm. and the camera work where it's like panning back and forth. It's like very classic Wes Anderson, but it worked in a really, it made me actually laugh in this particular (laughs) setting, even though like I knew what to expect, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's in this one that there is, it's before the crash, if I remember correctly, there's a tracking shot where... Um, it's go uh, towards the end of the tracking shot or, or towards the end of its movement in one direction, it passes by a doorway and before the doorway is out of frame, someone appears in the doorway mm-hmm. and kind of exclaims and the camera like reacts to it. Like yes. the camera does like a little jump. <laughs> yes. Like it not only goes back in the other direction, but it like it shakes. shakes a little uh, in order to like reverse its, its tracking. Uh, and it's very well-timed and it's it's uh, very cute. The two things I wanted to say is the one, the Stella Artois one, where there's that like fancy room with all the doors opening and closing. Yes, very, yes, very like James Bond sort of 60s. Yes. The whole time I was just thinking somebody built this for this only. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, which I know happens, but it's still, it felt sort of like the commercial version of the Belafonte Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) where I was like, this is, looks incredibly complicated Yeah, and it's only for this. Right. It's just for a 30 second (laughs) beer ad. Yeah. Um, the Prada presents candy one I thought was very funny. Um, Leia, it also was another Leia Sado mm-hmm. connection. Right. But I also, that's like the most I've ever seen her smile in anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because in Death Stranding, she's like, I, I don't want to give any spoilers because I know you haven't played it and I want you to, but like she's sort of injured in and sad mm-hmm. in Death Stranding. That's like an easy way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So she's just like her, I mean, it's a CGI model, but it looks exactly like her. And I think I'm right. sure that they took the capture from her face. But right. she just looks like sort of mopey all the time. And then in Grand Budapest, she's also playing this very stern character. Mm-hmm. And so to see her like with her face lit up, like eating ice cream and dancing and just being so sexy and French, I was like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot to take in for me. Yeah. Like, a pansexual lady. <laughs> it's something else. Yeah. Um, but I thought that that, because that's really a series of commercials. Yeah, it's like three. It's like a three-parter. Um, yeah, and um, they were very, very funny. Yeah. Um, and they did feel explicitly French to me. Like, it felt mm-hmm. very, like, Amelie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, with the whimsy. Yes. 
Yeah, you can definitely feel the cinematic French inspiration on uh, West there. And yeah, I'm very curious to see how prominent that will be in uh, in the next feature. Yeah. So uh, The Squid and the Whale, right? Yeah. Can we talk about that? Is a, is a feature film written and directed by Noah Baumbach, um, mm-hmm. produced by Wes Anderson. And just from hearing them talk in interviews, you know, sounds like, uh, you know, they they collaborated on it. Wes Anderson was there, uh, you know, while it was being edited and, and definitely had some uh, creative uh, influence and, and suggestions. Uh, I've seen this film once, I think, and it was maybe, I don't know, a couple of years ago. It was it was mm-hmm. sort of recent. Um, what about you? I um, watched this a couple of times in high school, and I think I watched it once with Kenny. And this like felt like the sort of like, I'm a smart person watching movies movie. Yes. <laughs> you know, this was like, oh, if Garden State was like, now I'm watching real movies. Yeah, if this- Garden State was not like totally embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be this, basically. Mm-hmm. Which I I don't feel bad about Garden State. Like I understand why it was meaningful meaningful to me at the time, but like Zach Braff also just hasn't aged well. No. <laughs> like if Zach Braff had aged well, I think Garden State would have aged well. If that makes sense. Mm, to a certain extent, it would have aged better. Maybe I maybe not well. Yes, I get. I guess what I mean is like if Zach Braff had evolved, mm-hmm. the Garden State would have looked like a moment in Zach Braff's evolution. Right. That you could look at sort of nostalgically with an understanding that he then became a better person. <laughs> right. And instead he's dating Francis Pugue. <laughs> mm-hmm. God damn it. Um, but that's not this movie. This movie I watched in high school. I remember at one point my friend Cagno asking me to suggest a movie to watch. And I was like, oh, you should watch The Squid and the Whale. It's really good. But he watched it on a date night with this girl he was dating who was like Blake's age. Mm-hmm. So, like, two years younger than us, which, you know, is more meaningful in high school. Yeah. And he was, like, furious at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the kid, like, the, like, young – part of the plot of this movie is this young child is, like, jerking off, like, in the library and, like, smearing it on things. That's right. <laughs> um, But I – the thing I really, really like about this movie is that it is in some ways dealing with a lot of the same – it. I can see why Wes Anderson – I can see how Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach are friends, right? Because mm-hmm. Noah Baumbach has written some – co-written some of Wes Anderson's movies. Mm-hmm. And the sort of like, well, if your parents break up, where does that leave you question? Mm-hmm. Like all of these characters feel really well developed to me. Mm-hmm. And as like sort of taboo and fucked up is fucked up it is that that like little kid is like <laughs> – smearing semen on the walls of his public of his like school library and like getting drunk one night when he's forgotten about yeah um that's definitely fucked up but it also feels like yeah a pretty reasonable reaction mm-hmm. for a child yeah if that makes sense mm-hmm. and i liked that this movie was like this is not good but it's not like this kid is particularly weird because of it right yeah does that make sense right yeah it's not you know making something up out of whole cloth, like for shock value. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's like something that feels 
real that is kind of uncomfortable that you know maybe we haven't explored uh very much before at least not in this way this movie also has um a young jesse eisenberg in it yes a real a real sort of star making turn for and i'm trying to think okay so jesse eisenberg's 37 so he's five years older than me so he would have been in 2005 five years older than me he would have been like 20 so he was playing a teenager but he was like 20 Mm -hmm. um or thereabouts i'm not doing the math um, but yeah, this was the first thing I ever saw him in. I think he was in a couple of things before that, but I think this was really his first, like the thing that when later he would be in things, I would say, oh, that's the guy from The Squid and the Whale. And other right. people would say, oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Jesse Eisenberg kind of has like a type. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie, he is playing that type. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first time we're seeing Jesse Eisenberg play the sort of slightly manic nervous man that he is right yeah it's 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 an almost it's not i would i would characterize it as not quite but it's like almost at the level of jason schwartzman as max fisher Mm -hmm. like we need the perfect uh talented young person to play this role and we found him and from and from now on everybody's going to know who he is. Yeah. Uh and uh he, he the 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 challenge is in this case the character is mostly defined by like the ways that he is just like repeating uh what he learns from his father uh who mm-hmm. is an asshole. Yeah. Um and so you get this like trying to be trying to be grown up kind of in the way that max fisher is so like trying to hang with the grown-ups he's uh you know being an asshole because his role model is an asshole and then he has to go through this arc of like discovering you know that uh he can't trust his father in that way and has to grow out of that yeah, and that Max Fisher thing is a really good comparison too because in the exact same way he's he breaks up with the girlfriend that he has because he thinks he's going to be able to get with this college student that his dad is also kind of sleeping with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you once again have this woman at this hinge between these two men that are both the wrong age for her. Right. <laughs> um yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning that we've talked – and I mean, we know that – we know that – I mean, it's not an uncommon trope among any artist that the artists write things about making art. But mm. I do think it's worth mentioning that, you know, we've talked extensively about how Wes Anderson is making movies that are really books. Mm-hmm. And this movie has two char- – the both of the parents, part of what they fight over is they're both authors. Right. And they're, um, you know, she's like slightly more successful than he is or or her book has been more successful than he has been recently because he hasn't put in any books recently. Um, And so, yeah, also the idea of like success and then like what success is allowed to look at, like depending on your gender. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I thought this, I th- I like this movie a lot. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's a better movie than, for example, a more recent movie about a divorce by Noah Baumbach. Oh, Marriage Story? Which is Marriage Story, which has its good qualities, but which I I did not like nearly as much as the consensus uh, about it. Yeah. So I would I would much rather rewatch Squid and the Whale. Than... Yeah, and I didn't watch Marriage Story because I I was like, well, I feel I know this movie is going to stress me out. So yeah. how about I watch it at a time when I'm not super stressed out? Yeah. And that time never came. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert! Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't I can't recommend it. Um, really. I want to see the scene that they always meme. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, quite frankly, it is a better meme than it is a scene. <laughs> that's that's my opinion. And if you mm-hmm. only watch one scene from Marriage Story, you have to watch the scene where Adam Driver uh, s- sings a little live karaoke number. Oh yeah, um, that's uh, that's really the the heart of the of the movie, in my opinion. But that mm-hmm. goes to show you that, in my opinion, the movie really sort of swings more in his favor. Oh, and real quick, just curious, have you ever been to the uh Oh, Natural actually History Museum? This is something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. So, um this relates back to so this is related to Wes Anderson because it relates back to Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Um which is Jeremy and I, I don't know if I mentioned this when I brought up I, th- I guess I did when we were talking about the life aquatic. Where like Jeremy and I dated very briefly, but then had this really tumultuous relationship for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And my senior year, which was about a year and some months after the worst, worst parts of our tumult. Well, it depends on what you count as the worst parts, but it it was a year after we had started, a year and some months after we had started dating, and um. I was dating my boyfriend Dustin at the time and I went to New York with the Coraliers, which was our choral group, uh, like the fancy one. And we performed at a bunch of different places. Um, and one of the places we went was the American Museum of Natural History. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy and I were like sort of at a point where we realized we weren't going to fight anymore. Mm-hmm. And we took a picture in front of the squid and the whale because of this movie. There you go. So that is that is the one thing I have to say. Yeah, they're huge. Yes. What it's a huge awesome. thing that's fake yes. to have in a museum, I think I is the it. funny part. Yeah, <laughs> I love no, it too, it's, but it's great. Um I'm I'm sh- I'm sure I wouldn't know how to locate it now, but I, I'm sure I have a memory of um I've taken a picture with my my friend Brian from mm. high school in front of the uh, titular squid and the whale. Yeah. I also think that it's, I mean, I think a lot about where movies get their names from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a really good name that seems like a non sequitur mm-hmm. to the movie, but then ends up having meaning, but not in a way that feels like a trick. Like Parasite. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if that's that on that, then my next question for you is, would you indulge me in playing a little game? Yes, I love when you play games. So uh, several uh, weeks ago, a uh, few months at this point, 
don't know if you remember this, but I told you I had an idea for how we were going to end each episode because, mm-hmm. of course, uh, we're uh, borrowing uh, ideas from the Blank Check with Griffin and David podcast. And uh, they always end an episode with uh, what they call the box office game, mm-hmm. which uh, not only do I not want to copy them too much, but also if we tried to do it, it would be futile. It is, it's a game based on Griffin Newman's encyclopedic knowledge of movies and when they came out and how oh, they yeah. performed I would be at like, the box office. I'd be like, oh, I don't know. So uh, I thought, well, we have an alternative, uh, which is we can play a game uh, based on uh, the old Leonard Balton game made famous by the uh, Doug Loves Movies podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you're familiar with this. I call it the Letterboxd game. Yeah. This is where I go on Letterboxd. I uh, read a review of a film and you have to guess what film uh, is being described. And mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, this will be a fun way to end each episode. Then we recorded the Bow Rocket episode and we had such a good riveting conversation that I completely <laughs> forgot about that idea. So I was like, okay, there goes that. And then I thought, okay, we'll we'll uh, devote some time to this in the bonus episode. So yeah. what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back in time, starting to the year when Bottle Rocket came out, which was 1996. And mm-hmm. uh, I am looking at uh, the reviews for a film that came out in 1996 and I have to tell you, I have not prepared for this. Okay. I don't know what the reviews are going to say uh, before I look at them. I just have a list of years that I want to go through okay. because of the Wes Anderson context. So okay. um, can you tell me what film is being reviewed when this uh, user called Brat mm-hmm. gives it four and a half stars and says... Marge Gunderson is the only cop I've ever trusted. No. No, I don't know. Okay. Marge Gunderson? Marge Gunderson is the only cop I've ever trusted. This is a film from 1996. A film that I know you're suggesting. I know this film. Um, I I'm I would bet so. I don't I don't know hundred percent know that for sure, but I, I'm willing to bet. I'll give you uh, another review, unless you want to just throw a guess out. No, I have no, I can't, I can't think of any movies from 1996. You're saying pass. Except Bottle Rocket. So I I found another review. Okay. This is from Karsten Rundquist. Mm -hmm. Perfect film to watch before going home for Thanksgiving tomorrow. Mm. I love Minnesota with every bone in my body, you know. Fargo? Yes. It is the film Fargo. Marge Gunderson is, of course, Francis McDormand's character in Fargo. Um, Let's play again, but this time with a film from 1998, because that is the year that Rushmore came out. Matt on Letterboxd gives this movie from 1998 four stars, and he writes, Randy Newman's score absolutely slaps. I don't know. Give me another one. Okay. Okay. Here's one. Uh, three stars. Mm-hmm. 
Nice Guys writes, Kevin Spacey is the best villain always. Clerks? No. Is it a Jay and Silent Bob movie? No. I don't know. I think I maybe give up. I'll give you one last review. Okay. <laughs> Four stars. Robin writes, Why don't Pixar do bloopers no more? Toy Story? So close. This Toy is, Story 2? Mm, what came in between? This is the year 1998. What came in between Toy Story and Toy Story 2 in 1998? Kevin Spacey is the best villain. Oh, Kevin Spacey. I thought you said Kevin Smith. I hope I didn't. <laughs> I hope I read it correctly. It's Bug's Life. Yes. A Bug's Life. Which, do you know that we watched that movie with Elliot and I felt a little bit weird watching like something with Kevin Spacey in it? Sure. It's like not the end of the world, but like I felt a little bit weird about it. But then he has the scene where he, and it's supposed to, I think it's probably a pretty iconic scene. He says like, he just says the word stupid over and over again. Mm-hmm. He's like, are you calling me stupid? Do you think that I'm stupid? And then Elliot started, that was the thing Elliot hooked on to. And I was like, I can't, I don't think we can let him watch this movie again. Mm-hmm. Now, at this age, you know what I mean? Like, not like it's verboten, but right. like, I was like, one, maybe I could forgive the fact that there's a rapist in it. <laughs> because of like, it's a kid's movie and the time period and blah, blah, blah. And he's not the only character. But then I was like, if the thing that Elliot is taking away is a rapist voicing that somebody is stupid over and over again, not the thing I want him to take away from a movie. This reminds me, I'm glad that this came up because I don't think I would have remembered to say this otherwise, but I've been meaning to say it, which is Mm -hmm. um, I did an episode about Edgar Wright and Edgar Wright has made five movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had to acknowledge like, oh, unfortunately, Kevin Spacey is in Baby Driver. So Mm -hmm. it kind of has that, you know, dark mark on it. Mm -hmm. We've discussed nine Wes Anderson films. And Mm -hmm. as much as we've been problematizing them, especially when it comes to race, there hasn't been a single time where we've gone like, Oh, gosh, in hindsight, it's really unfortunate that this person is in the cast. Is there somebody that's really unfortunate that I just don't know about? I don't think so. I mean... Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, like, I've been trying <laughs> to reflect on it, and I'm like, I I would just be speculating. Like, it would just yeah. be... I, I could tell you who I think the most likely is, but it would just be guesswork. It's not, yeah, yeah. It's not based on any stories well, I've heard. I do know that Adrian Brody had a very public thing where he kissed Halle Berry oh right yeah so maybe that's the thing but mm-hmm. I don't know if like I, I don't, forgot I don't think that. I don't know if he's can't like I don't know again not good and he should apologize and move on and grow and hopefully be a better person yeah but he's not in the Kevin Spacey camp yeah he's not in the serial rapist camp right <laughs> I feel like there is a difference I feel like, yes, there are degrees of things and they, 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 there can be significant differences between them. Um, but back to the game. Yes. Uh, the Royal Tannenbaums came out in 2001. So mm-hmm. here's a review of a different movie that came out in 2001. Lucy on Letterboxd gives it five stars and calls it 
the movie equivalent of being hugged. Oh my god. I don't know. But if you had to guess. The movie equivalent of being hugged. Mm -hmm. Is it animated? No. It's from is two, it a- it's from 2001. Okay. The year of the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh-huh. Three years it's- before Life Aquatic, which is the next uh-huh. movie. It's not Zoolander, which also came out in 2001, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did we actually discuss this on the podcast? Uh, maybe not. You might have brought it up just separately. Very side note, very mm-hmm. quickly. I've noticed this, and I think it's interesting and worth pointing out, which is that um, Zoolander came out the same year as The Royal Tenenbaums, which also had starred Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting to think about because they're two incredibly different movies. Right. Um, but Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson were spending quite a bit of time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know anything about, um, like, you know, shooting schedules or anything like that, but they came, they both came out at the end of the year. Right. So there must have been some overlap. Yeah, I just think that's worth mentioning yeah. when we're looking at the Wes Anderson verse, especially because, like we said, you know, clearly Owen Wilson has been in many movies that aren't Wes Anderson movies, and Ben's, but Ben Stiller only shows up in Royal Tenenbaum, so it's especially interesting to see that pairing. Right. It's a funny year. There there are definitely – I, I want to talk about this in a different context, actually. There are years where – you see people in multiple things and it just kind of sticks in your brain like, oh, they really had a year. Yeah, um, yeah. But this movie. Yes, tell me another review. Well, just real quick because mm-hmm. I, I, I want to just emphasize and then maybe hear a guess if you have one. Liz, talking to you, mm-hmm. I'm going to say search your feelings. Rather Amelie? Than, yes, it's Amelie. Oh, <laughs> Yes, the film is Amelie. Uh, the next year is 2004, as I said, the year of uh, The Life Aquatic with mm-hmm. Steve Zizou. Now I'm coming into my consciousness a little bit more. Um, 2004, uh, four stars from uh, Nice Guys again. Oh. You see all that rain? That's actually just my tears. <laughs> v for Vendetta? No. Interesting guess. That does have a lot of rain in it. And I think yeah. it came out in 2004. It close, yeah. If not that, then very close to it. Let's uh, do a different review. Same movie. Three stars. No matter how much you... 2005, lo- Youth for Vendetta came out, by the way. But that was still close. So close. <laughs> uh, Sophie writes, uh, no matter how much you love each other, you both will grow old and die. Oh, um... It's um, Eternal Sunshine. Ooh, that is the right year, I believe. But no, <laughs> you're, you're that. I I thought you had it. Oh no! Uh, yeah, that's 2004. I guess that's not rain so much as it is snow. Yeah, so so close. Okay. Um, and my hair looks just like Kate Winslet on the cover of the on the movie poster right now. Uh, this is a, a different Sophie who gives it three and a half stars and she writes or they write, why do women keep cheating on James Marsden in movies? He seems nice and I'd marry him for that riff he does in Hairspray alone. 
Oh, Lord. Okay, so here's a problem I have. Mm-hmm. I don't know who James Marsden is. He's uh, Cyclops from the X-Men movies. Because I always think of James Marsters. No. <laughs> different people. Which is a different human. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he's Cyclops. The Notebook? Yes, it is The Notebook. Oh. You are correct. Not a movie I've actually seen, but... And yet you got it. Uh, 2007 is the year Darjeeling Limited came out. Yes. Also, I'm looking at The Notebook's page right now. It described it as a sleeper hit. That's interesting. Apparently it wasn't super popular. I mean, it still made $116 million in the box office with a budget of $29 million, But, um... I guess like it's it's considered to have a cult following. Hmm. And in 2012, ABC Family premiered an extended versions that deleted scenes had been added back into the original storyline of. Like they re-edited the movie. Weird. Which is I don't th- I've heard of extended versions, but never, never like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah something different. Uh, okay, let's try this. Uh, 2007, San gives it five stars, says, This is just PTA doing what he does best, creating masterpieces. I can't wait to watch it again. PTA. PTA. Man or woman? Man. Why does every... I'm like, Patrick Stewart. Neil Patrick Harris, no. (laughs) Making masterpieces. I don't know. Here's another review. Iana gives it four and a half stars. It's very similar, but it will get you one step closer. Okay. (laughs) Paul Thomas Anderson makes creating masterpieces look easy. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. That's the PTA. Not the Parent Teacher Association. Yes. I had to look that up as an acronym for work the other day. Initialism, but yeah. Yes, initialism. Yes. Which I actually explained to somebody when I was explaining our style guide. I was like, technically they're acronyms and initialisms, but we just call them acronyms for uh, to be concise. <laughs> yeah. And because everyone does. Yeah. Um. Can you remind me something that Paul Thomas Anderson has done that isn't the movie in question? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, I know it's obvious and I should know. No, no, I'm no, sorry. no, no, it's fine. It's just it's just a funny way of getting a hint. I like it. Uh more recently, uh he made a film called The Master. And earlier in his career, he made a film called Boogie Nights. Well, I don't think I know this one. <laughs> Let me give you one more review. Okay. <laughs> Neil on Letterboxd gives it two stars. Oh, did not like it. Pointless film. But Daniel Day-Lewis gives an astonishing performance as Waluigi. Lincoln? No. No, that came out when I was in grad school. And that is a Steven Spielberg movie. This is this is pre-Lincoln. <laughs> I don't know, Will. What is it? Just tell me. There will be blood. Oh, there will be blood. Yes. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> all right we're having fun let's get through a few more of these hey i got daniel day lewis though with the waluigi joke i made that connection correctly that's right (laughs) 
2009 is the year that uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is a good place to start. Uh, Juan gives this movie two and a half stars and he calls it simply the most overrated movie of all time. What year was this again? 2009. 2009. The most overrated movie of all time. I need more information than that. Josh gives the movie four stars and writes, Do you hate trees? Then don't watch (laughs) this movie. It's got one of the biggest trees I've ever seen. (laughs) Okay, so it's not the Lorax remake. I think that was later. (laughs) One of the biggest trees I've ever seen. In the most overrated movie of all time. Oh, Avatar. That's right. (laughs) I had a third review in my back pocket and it just says, blue face, baby. (laughs) There's a picture of me and Mike Coakley Mm -hmm. on our knees hugging. Yes. Demonstrating. Demonstrating how they make love by connecting their tails. That's right. I was like, first you got to get on your knees, then you hug. I remember that. (laughs) I might have taken that picture. (laughs) I think you did, actually. Yeah. Uh. 2012 is the year that Moonrise Kingdom came out. Yes. Uh, Houston gives this movie four and a half stars. He writes, 2012 was my 1977. This movie was my Star Wars. So it's like a sci-fi fantasy type genre? Yes. That, that, That might not be... The number one thing, <laughs> the number one term you use to describe it, its genre, but but yes, that is still... Was it one of the Harry Potter movies? No. Okay. When did the last Harry Potter movie come out? Um, I If I had to, off the top of my head, I think maybe 2011. Yeah, it was near there. That's like getting... Deathly Hallows uh, Part 2. Yeah. Um, give me another one. Break break me off a piece of that letterbox review. Sophie gives the movie four stars and writes, My mom thinks Jeremy Renner looks like Kermit the Frog. Is it, um, X-Men? Mm. I mean, not X-Men. Fuck. <laughs> is it a Marvel movie? Yes. Is it Avengers? Yes, it is Marvel's okay. The Avengers. <laughs> X-Men. God, it's like I called it Star Trek or something. (laughs) It's pretty close. (laughs) Uh, 2014 is the year Grand Budapest Hotel came out. This is, okay, this is a great one. This might be the best one yet. Okay. Uh, Sam gives this movie four stars. He says, like if Damien Chazelle had studied murder in college instead of jazz. This is 2015? 2014. 2014? Six years ago. God, going back, 2014 just feels like... 2014 somehow feels longer ago than 2005. Um, Do you feel that way? Uh, No. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yes. I guess what I mean is like my memories of like college feel so much more distinct than my memories of like grad school. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if that has to do with my brain being formative. Okay, give me another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, Demi gives this three and a half stars. Demi writes, the best movie in the top five films of the dumbest guy you know. Okay, so who's a dumb guy in film? What was the first review again? So the first one is, like if Damien Chazelle had studied murder in college instead of jazz. And the second one is, this is the best movie in the top five films of the dumbest guy you know. Meaning, oh, okay, meaning yes. the dumb guy's favorite movies. Favorite movies of the dumb guy's favorite movies. This one, this is the best one. Three and a half stars. Oh, okay. I feel like I have context now, but I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna. I think you got to break me off with a third yeah, review. I'll give you this one. Will will make it easier. This one is less vague. Five stars from Georgina, who writes, "Who would win, the Russian mafia or one angry boy?" Is it a James Bond movie? No. It's a new character. It's a new character. But it is a franchise now. Okay. But it wasn't when it started in 2014. There have been two well, sequels since then, and there, there are sure to be more. Well, I don't know. It is the film... John Wick, starring oh, Keanu Reeves. I have not seen any of those movies, but I hear that they are very good. I've enjoyed them very much. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. That I didn't know that one. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, it's just a fun movie to talk about as well as to watch. Keanu Reeves also just rules, so. Yeah, he's the best. Did you see the uh, romantic comedy that was on Netflix? I saw the Keanu part. I didn't, I didn't watch the whole movie. And, and the whole movie was really good. Sure. Um, um, for a romantic comedy, which is a genre. Yes. You're, you're, you're referring to the film Always Be My Maybe. Yes. In which Keanu has a longish cameo and he plays himself. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, that part is especially amazing. Yes. <laughs> that was sort of the what the movie was boiled down to by like memes yeah. and reviews and stuff. Uh, the last of these films, uh, Isle of Dogs, of course, came out two years ago in the year of our Lord, 2018. Sophie, once again, mm -hmm. four and a half stars. The fact that someone shouts LeBron James more than once in this shows how true to life it is. Oh, no, I have no idea. Give me another review. <laughs> How true to real life. I'm sorry, I misread that. Iana, again, uh, four and a half stars. That scene in the car is so unbearable, I had to leave the cinema for a bit. Who, boy? That scene in the car? Mm-hmm. Will, you're killing me with these. <laughs> I know that you haven't seen a lot of movies in the past five years yeah but i'm pretty sure you've seen this one lebron james from just two years ago seen in the car give me give me more info karsten runquest also four and a half stars 
Girl in the back of the theater yelled, the dad never has a shirt on, but I'm okay with it. Eighth grade. Eighth grade is correct. <laughs> good, I have seen this one. Good, strong finish. That's the um, thing that I also noticed. <laughs> I was just like, oh, dude, you got to put a shirt on, man. <laughs> LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the letterboxed game. I did okay, I want to say. I think you did very well. The one movie that I didn't get at all. Well, wait, the two movies I didn't get. There Will Be Blood and John Wick. Yeah. I'm not surprised I didn't get There Will Be Blood um, just because I forgot who Paul Thomas Anderson was. But um, John Wick I've never seen, so I feel very good that I didn't get that one because I have little context for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So feedback and actors. So real quick. Yeah. I want to read a few messages that I've gotten from my parents uh, over the past few months. That's the feedback is from your parents. Yes. Who else would it be from? (laughs) I Yeah, that's true. Blake, I will say the one feedback I have from Blake that I haven't shared is he messaged besides his like anal corrections Mm -hmm. about things. Whereas he messaged me about Grand Budapest and said, I'm not really into this one as much because you're talking about other movies. And I said, okay. And that oh, was all oh, he said. He went into the episode of our show, not <laughs> the, into the movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my, my parents listen to the podcast, as you know, and they've been yes. uh, following along. And um, they have uh, messaged me about the films and the podcast um, a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first was uh, in the wake of Bottle Rocket. Uh, and after Bottle Rocket, they wrote to me and said, I always think James Kahn's biggest role is Sonny in The Godfather, which we talked about James Kahn, mm-hmm. but never mentioned that. I didn't think of this while watching the movie, but after listening to you and Liz, do you think he planned to rob them all along or after meeting Future Man? During the movie, I just thought it was his plan all along, but now I'm wondering if he didn't do it to show Future Man that he could take quote, all that he had. Future Man, of course, being the Andrew Wilson character. And he and James Conn have that sort of altercation in the uh, country club restaurant. I definitely saw it as a vengeance thing. Interesting. So I I wrote back and I said, my assumption was that he was always planning to rob uh, Bob. uh, And that's the whole reason that he was uh, working with, you know, Dignan. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the first place. Uh, And then uh, they wrote, I think, uh, I I say they, I'm sure it was probably my mom writing, (laughs) I I think I enjoyed the movie more than you, maybe because I didn't expect much, because I knew that it bombed. Uh, (laughs) I thought they could have delved into the characters more, and I think things probably got lost in the editing, uh, like how that hotel room party came about. Yeah. And yeah. Some some things are just kind of like dropped into. Um, mm-hmm. I don't recall if we talked about it or not, but there's like a thing in Bottle Rocket that is, is like it's about Bob's brother. Like Bob has to leave the motel because his brother got arrested. And that felt like very like uh, like something like some co- connective tissue was lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second time I got a text was in the wake of the Darjeeling Limited. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, my mom. They didn't have any comments on my extensive commentary on the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Not for me. Steve, Diane. Well, now what are you doing? Now it's coming. I guarantee <laughs> it. Um, just listen to your latest podcast. Three things came to mind. One is that Jack and Peter really did trust Francis from the beginning, just by the fact that they showed up, not really knowing why. Showed up as yeah. in to to India. Mm-hmm. Which is a which is a fair point, and, and I think that's well observed. I would just add to that. Also, there's the context of like we know that these two characters they also like they have something that they're running from. Like they're mm-hmm. they're not in India just purely out of like generosity to their brother and doing what he wants them to do, but they it's sort of a convenient excuse for them yeah. to get out of their lives and and go halfway around the world to to escape something. Two, I think Francis hoping to find his mother and not telling the brothers could be considered a caper. Oh, yes. Uh, And three, I'm surprised you didn't mention anything about the luggage, the baggage they carried through the movie, (laughs) and then the figurative shedding of that baggage when they literally threw the bags away. And then yeah. I wrote back, uh, it's funny, just minutes after we finished Skyping, you and I, Liz, mm-hmm. I texted Liz, we never even mentioned the luggage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then my mom said to that, I thought maybe you were thinking it was too obvious to even mention. <laughs> <laughs> it is so obvious, which is part of the reason we didn't mention it. It's but it why is... we forgot, but it's 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 not like I... Didn't know. Doesn't deserve. Yeah. Yes. I will say something else about the luggage that I, um, I wanted to talk about specifically is, yeah, there's this really obvious metaphor of them having this like baggage that they then shed, but it's not just that. It's also that there's, it's a set. So they're all numbered. Mm -hmm. And when they have the flashback in New York where they open the trunk and they're like, here's the last piece of luggage. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like the metaphor of, them having this like extra weight it's also this sense of which a lot of wes anderson's movies are about like how do we feel whole yeah and the fact that they all want this set to be complete and that they also want to then divvy it up between them and it's like they want to have the parts of their dad that they can't have anymore yeah which is quite like the fact i mean it's a very wes anderson thing to number things right with like you know, initials, like a monogram and a number. But I think that, I think that's a really beautiful metaphor that goes beyond the sort of obvious one. Yeah, definitely. So the last message is uh, not by text from my mom, but by email from my dad. Oh, that's really nice. And it just uh, came (laughs) in yesterday. And uh, it's because of the conversation that presumably Blake did not enjoy in the Grand Budapest Hotel episode, the, the, <laughs> the start of the ongoing conversation about cast members. Mm-hmm. My dad wrote, um, I thought when your discussion turned to actors who would fit into the Wes Anderson repertoire, I thought it was very interesting to think about. Here is my two cents. And then he Ooh, offers please. the following list. Oh, <laughs> uh, Margot Martindale. Yes, character actor, character Margo actor, Martindale. Mar- Margo Martindale, yes. Anyone anyone who's watched BoJack Horseman knows character actor Margo Martindale. 
Uh, second on his list is J.K. Simmons, mm. which would be incredible. And wow, your dad's very good at this. Yeah, my my <laughs> I I think my dad has a, a deep and profound appreciation for great character actors, and and mm-hmm. that he's instilled that in me to some extent as well. And then third on his list, funny enough, is Giancarlo Esposito. Oh. Who we talked about in the Isle of Dogs episode, which we have not he has released not heard yet. It. Yes. So it was just by coincidence that we both came up with that. Uh fourth on his list is Sam Rockwell. Oh yes. Which would be uh-huh. which would be very interesting because I think Sam Rockwell is like very um modern. Like he's he's sort of hip. Um, but he's also got a lot of range and and could could play. A, a Wes Anderson uh, type of role. You know what I'd really love to see? What's that? Sam Rockwell and Ed Norton playing brothers. Because mm-hmm. they look very similar. Yeah. And I get, they're not the same by any standard, but they feel similar to me in right. the way that they could play good brothers, I think. Yeah, yeah. That would be great to see. That's a great idea. Uh, we'll tell Wes. Fifth on this list is uh, Michael Stuhlbarg. Which Who is that? Well, talk about great character actors and talk about having a year. Um, mm-hmm. This, uh, so I, uh, th- I, I wanted to talk about this already. Um, uh, why, why did it come up before during the Letterbox game having somebody who had a year? Oh, oh Ben Stiller, um, Owen Wilson, and Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, yeah, yeah Zoolander and Raul Tenenbaums in the same year. So. Um, I'm talking about an example of um, somebody who uh, prior to a certain year, mm-hmm. I had no idea who they were. Mm-hmm. And then in one year, I see them in multiple things that I really yeah. like. And all of, all of a sudden, this person who I didn't know from Adam uh, recently is like is one of my favorites. And it's like, oh, this is the so like last year for me, was the year of uh, Beanie Feldstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Because of not only Booksmart, but also she had a great uh, small part to play in What We Do in the Shadows, the TV series. Mm-hmm. Same year. Extremely funny. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg in 2017 alone was in Call Me By Your Name mm-hmm. and The Shape of Water. Yes. And The Post, which I did not see until later. Uh-huh. And uh, the TV series Fargo, which you're going to, which you've already heard me mention and yes. which I'm going to bring up over and over again. Mm-hmm. So um, actually come to, th- actually, wait a second. Let me just look at this IMDb real quick. Okay. Yeah. Come to think of it, I am sort of flabbergasted that Michael Stuhlbarg is not in the French Dispatch. I just had to make sure that he wasn't because it, <laughs> like, it would just make so much like perfect sense uh-huh. if he were in the French Dispatch. Um, I also see that he was in Doctor Strange in 2016. So you must have seen him in that even if you didn't recognize yeah, him at the time. Yeah, he's classic. Yeah, he's been in a million things and I'm sure I've seen him but just never really took notice of him until – Call me by. have you seen Call Me By Your Name? I haven't, and I want to. Um, 
He plays. Maybe we'll just get it from the library. He plays Timothy Chalamet's dad in that movie, and oh, it's okay. it's a great part. And he has one scene in particular that is like this incredible monologue that is just like you know the whole movie you know hinges on it. Total spotlight stealing. Um, two more names on this list. Uh, you're gonna like this next one. It's um, uh, wait a second. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think my my dad may have forgotten that Kate Blanchett is in The Life Aquatic. Oh, but yes, she should show up again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, did I tell you? Did I tell you the 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 exhibit I saw of her in the Hershorn? This, which I feel so pretentious anytime I say her the Hershorn. But mm-hmm. <laughs> did I tell you about this? Uh, tell me again. So the Hirshhorn, one of the last things I did before everything shut down, I went there in February and in January, I think, um, is this, the Hirshhorn's an art museum in DC that's free. It's one of the Smithsonian's and um, it's got like modern art in it. Um, It's, it's a beautiful museum. It's um, donut shaped. Mm -hmm. So it's got this huge center courtyard, not like a little one, like a huge one. And then, so when you walk through the exhibits, you just walk in a circle and then find yourself at the start again, which is honestly how every museum should be shaped. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But when we went there, there was this exhibit that had been there for a couple, it was one of those exhibits that was going to be there for a couple of months where you walked in and there were, I want to say 10 or 11 different screens um with a bench in front of them and each one was playing a short film that was maybe i want to say five to seven minutes long Mm -hmm. and the speakers were directly above um you so if you stood directly in front of the screen you could hear it and you could sort of hear the other screens but not really Mm -hmm. and each movie um was kate blanchett and sometimes other people but mostly Kate Blanchett. There was also a lot of um, scenes that were sort of like landscape scenes that would sort of linger for a long time. Mm-hmm. And she was playing 10 different characters. So there was like one called The Architect. She plays like a homeless man. Um, and then there's a part in each one where she, Kate Blanchett, is looking directly at the camera and they all start saying the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Which for you, me telling you about this, you're like, yeah, that would be disorienting. For me, not knowing that was going to happen, it was suddenly like I was in, like, hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I mean that, I think I've said Kate Blanchett is one of the most beautiful women and people in the world. But, like, suddenly Kate Blanchett's face is huge in every direction because all of these screens are at, like, slightly different angles. Yeah. They're all sort of right angles to one another, but they're all over the place. And they're just saying this, like, I, and I don't remember what it was, but this, like, sort of manifesto-type statement very sternly. And I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, more Kate Blanchett. She's incredible. Yeah. She's so versatile. Yeah, definitely. And then the last name on my dad's list was Oliver Platt, who I had to look up I never would have thought of him myself, but I recognized him when I looked him up and it's a classic example of like, oh, I've seen this guy in a million things. I just never really made the connection before, which is like the, you know, uh, classic uh, sort of narrative for a character actor. Oh my God, this guy's filmography is like 30 pages long. Let me add to my own list enough to say... Well, first of all, um, I never mentioned that when I uh, first posited this question to Dana, 
mm-hmm. of who uh, should be in a Wes Anderson movie. The first name out of her mouth was a name that you've already said in this podcast episode, but mm-hmm. I, you kind of butchered it on purpose, which is Florence Pugh. Yeah. Which I think uh, is uh, inevitable uh, mm-hmm. and, and should should happen. Um, and then the, the more we thought about it, another name uh, Dana mentioned, a person I would never think of, but uh, got me thinking and I, I think is interesting to consider is uh, she mentioned Army Hammer. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That poor guy. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The thing <laughs> is that like he could he could sort of use the help. <laughs> and he's in a category which... I we've sort of talked about it before. Brad Pitt is kind of the epitome of like mm-hmm. movie star handsome, but maybe best served, you know, playing like supporting role characters rather than like mm-hmm. leading man, you know, like generic Tom Cruise movie star type of um, actor. Yeah. Um, and uh, talking about Army Hammer in this way also made me made me think of. Uh, Channing Tatum. Oh no! No, no. Okay. I can I can swing Army Hammer. Channing Tatum's too much. All right, that's fair enough. <laughs> and I am the final decision here. So well, we well we, we're it's it's a it's a conversation, and so you know we're making compromises. It's talking about movie stars. You know, people who are too big for the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Smith is another one we haven't mentioned. Oh yeah, that wouldn't work. Will Ferrell also. If we're going to talk about Will's, yes, yep, I thought of that too. That's a good addition. Um, thinking, just taking a brief diversion into SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, someone who I think would work and should work is um is Bill Hader. I feel I have mixed it, feelings. I'd take it if mm. it happened. Okay, all right, fair enough. I I. I yeah. Um, so I guess I, Bill Hader was in that. Bill Hader was in some sort of HBO show. You're talking about Barry? Yes. Yeah. That's not past tense, by the way. Okay. Well, <laughs> has okay. been. Is. My point. My point is, I feel like that show will, should would show me more of his range in a way that I maybe would be more on board with if I watched that show. Does that seem yeah. like an accurate assessment? Sure. There's other stuff you could watch too. You could watch uh, the Skeleton Twins with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. Okay. Um, you know, Kristen Wiig's take has taken some interesting stabs at at drama. Mm-hmm. She might be uh, a, a a cool one for Wes Anderson to work with. Uh, and then um, I want to you know wrap up my portion of this um, and hear any additional thoughts you have by just. Um, bringing it back to Fargo mm-hmm. um, because uh, there's a new season of Fargo going on right now. Um, it's one of my favorite shows. I think it's incredible. It's a, it's an anthology show. Each season is its own story. Oh, like American Horror Story. But they're all linked. They're all in mm-hmm. the same universe. American Horror Story is too. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, Jason Schwartzman happens to be in the new season of Fargo, mm. funnily enough. He's playing like an Italian mob boss, uh, Italian American uh, mm-hmm. mob boss. That's speaking, very funny. Considering speaking of his, Castello uh, Prada. Cavalcanti, yes, his yeah, exactly. Prada funny ad. connection. 
<laughs> so, um, so, so it's hard to have a year in, in 2020 because mm-hmm. there are so few new movies that, uh, to see. However, um, if last year was the year of Beanie Feldstein, this year, the person who I didn't know existed, but now they've, they've had a year, um, is this uh, actor Jesse Buckley, mm. who is in the new season of Fargo, mm. and she was the star of the movie I'm Thinking of Ending Things, mm-hmm. which is the new Charlie Kaufman movie, which uh, was for Netflix, which I've mentioned before. And which we're going to talk about again, because as I was thinking about actors who have been on my mind, I thought of Fargo. I thought Jesse Buckley uh, is great and I think would work very well in a Wes Anderson context. And that reminded me of I'm thinking of ending things. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm thinking of ending things has a very small cast. The entire cast absolutely should and must work with Wes Anderson. And I'm talking (laughs) about, in addition to Jesse Buckley, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about David Thewlis, who, speaking of the Harry Potter movies as we were before, he played Lupin. That's what most people know him from. Yes. He was also (laughs) in Fargo. Mm -hmm. He was in season three of Fargo. It's the most incredible villain performance I've ever seen. That's like... Mm -hmm. In a show that I love with so many people and so many amazing moments, that to me like rises above everything else. Also in I'm Thinking of Any Things, Tony Collette. And then and then finally, and this is also kind of wrapping up the Breaking Bad conversation from last mm. week, mm-hmm. never mentioned Jesse Plemons, who has also been in Fargo. He was in season two of Fargo. Oh, and probably is like near the top of my list. Of Who was he people. in? In Breaking Bad, he he's um. Is he the is son? Ca- no. What is his okay. character's name? He he's he's the um. He's the young neo Nazi from towards the end of the series. Okay, I probably didn't see. I've watched that movie. I've watched that show on and off, and Kenny's explained a lot of it to me. But um, I I don't think I necessarily know him. I can't remember the character's name now, but he he enters in season like four or five, and um, he's he's uh, had quite a quite a career um, in the in the years uh, since then, and uh, he's just great, and he, and 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 it would make I think it would be a match made in heaven for him to to work with Wes Anderson as well. He uh, he and Kirsten Dunst uh, played uh, husband and wife in season two of Fargo. And okay. uh, and now they are together in real life. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst is a very underrated actress. Mm-hmm. She's like incredible. Yeah. Have you seen Melancholia? No, I, have, I never have. That movie is, you should watch that movie. Mm-hmm. It's an exp- Let me put it this way. Even if you don't like it, It'll be like the way that it moves is like very specific. It's unlike any other movie I feel like I've, I've watched. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard that type of buzz about it before. Okay. Um, would you like my list? Yes. Your own names to add, please. I have two sections of this. Um, the first is I was thinking about, I then started, I started going through like, okay, what are things that I've seen that I like? And then going from there. Mm-hmm. So two people, um, uh, that came up that are both from Jurassic Park, 
but uh, came up in part because of initially because of Sersha. Yeah. Are BD Wong. Mm-hmm. And Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern was, of course, in Little Women. Right. Um, I think Laura Dern would be great in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She could just slide right in there. Sort of like how Angelica Houston could just exist in a Wes Anderson movie and, like, shown like a beacon. Right. B.D. Wong is a little bit of a wild card, but he his range is actually, like, pretty big. Mm-hmm. He played a villain in Gotham. He played um, a doctor. What's a Batman villain that's got a doctor in his name? <laughs> doctor Strange? He played Doctor Strange in... Yeah. Not to be confused with Doctor Strange. Yes. Which is a, a movie with Benedict Wong in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Playing a character named Wong. But uh, then I Doc, was... Doctor Hugo Strange is the Batman villain. Yes, Hugo Strange. So that's who he plays. And he's very, like, cre- specifically, like, creepy and sort of sterile in that movie. Or in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, which was, like, incredibly and incredibly uneven show. But we did watch all of it as it came out. Yeah. I will say, Gotham started really, really bad. And then the second half mm. of the first season, they figured out how to not be so shitty. And then it was, like, mm. actually worth watching. Yeah. It was so, the first half of the first season was so bad that I'd be watching it with Kenny and I'd be making fun of it. And finally, he'd be like, I'm putting in my headphones. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and then one person that I was thinking about that is maybe too close to Timothy Chalamet. Hmm. But is somebody that I know from watching Kenny watch Riverdale. Okay. Is Cole Sprouse. Mm, I'm not familiar. You know, so Cole Sprouse is, um, he plays Jughead. Okay. And he's got the similar sort of like skinny, dark wavy hair, sad eyes as Timothy Chalamet does. Mm-hmm. He, he is, he's got a twin brother because he was on that show. Um... What show was he on? The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Ah, yes. He and his brother played twins on that. His brother's name is Dylan. Um, and yeah, I just feel like I I think you know get him the right role, write him the right part. I think he would make very good sense. Mm-hmm. And then I took a different tack, which you may or may not hate. I I really I think I've discussed before. Sometimes I don't know. Here's my take what if wes anderson made a musical mm-hmm. that was mostly comprised of people who were musicians as the actors ah um so then i was like what musicians do i think could act in a movie that's a musical that's a wes anderson movie mm-hmm. i didn't get very far <laughs> <laughs> so maybe when we eventually do a mailbag we can come up with more but one person i think would be harry styles uh-huh yes i think he'd be very good he uh christopher nolan uh put him in dunkirk recently oh, okay yep okay so he does have some acting under his belt which i didn't realize yep somebody that i think would be really good as a background actor who didn't actually have any lines or maybe had one line is our buddy maddie b <laughs> sure I'd love to see Matt Berninger as a character that is specifically somebody that just doesn't talk very much. Yeah, he um, the National made at least one appearance on the comedy Bang Bang TV series. 
mm-hmm. and like did you know like a scripted bit. Uh, I remember it being very stilted. <laughs> That's why I want him to not talk. Yeah. But I feel like he has a very commanding stature. Yes. And it would be very funny. Mm-hmm. I also know that he was, he and Phoebe actually were, sorry, I say this as if she is my friend, Phoebe Bridgers. Yes. <laughs> um, Were in the Between Two Ferns movie. Yeah. And, and wrote a, a beautiful song for it. Yeah. Uh, which they uh, made a great video for as well. And then this is somebody that I think might break it, but I feel like I would want to bring it up because I could see if Wes Anderson wrote the part for her, like almost as if I could almost see her being like the host or something, like some sort of host to the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can reject this. Go ahead. Lizzo? Oh, huh. I thought maybe you were going to say Lady Gaga, which, you know, you got me thinking about musicians who have acted. I don't want to see Lady Gaga in a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I was thinking Lizzo because um, besides the fact that she's an incredible singer, an incredible dancer, and just incredible, she does have like a, a couple of like quirks about her that you wouldn't mm. expect. Um, mm-hmm. Like the fact that she is a very accomplished flautist. Yes. Sure. Um, and so I could see her playing flute in a yeah. Wes Anderson movie. Yes. Yeah. In in like a yes, like a sort of bit part, uh, perhaps. Yeah. E- either as a bit part, or if she was like the narrator, I could see her being like the like the muses in um, Hercules. And then I have one more person, which I feel like is the person I actually feel most strongly about Mandy Moore. Mm-hmm. You, you've, you've sung her praises talking about this is us. Yeah. Her ability to, I was thinking about this recently. Like I, you know, she's playing the mother of these children on this is us. And when she's playing the sort of present day character, like the one that it's like 2020 because they just introduced coronavirus in the last season premiere, which came out like a couple weeks ago. The children that she is a mother to at that age are older than her in real life, which is very weird. And I believe it. I also know, do you know about her and Ryan Adams? No. So do you know who Ryan Adams is? Yes. So a couple of years ago, I'm going to say 2018, there was this big New York Times article about how shitty Ryan Adams is. And one of the people who spoke out was Phoebe Bridgers um, and her song Motion Sickness is about Ryan Adams. One of the people was Mandy Moore, who she was married to him for a long time. And she basically said that, you know, he was abusive and controlling and he stilted her musical career. You know, she should have had a musical career in her 20s, but he was very jealous of how of her Mm-hmm. And basically prevented her from doing that. Um, and it was only through her divorce that she feels like maybe she can start doing things like that again. Um, but that said, she's an incredible actress. She is a very good singer. She also, as we know, was in um, what was the Rapunzel mo- movie they made? Tangled. <laughs> Tangled. I wanted to say Twisted and I knew that was wrong. And then I was like, nodded. No. <laughs> um, I think she would make perfect sense and i also think that she could play a character that we weren't even expecting 
um, sort of like Tilda, not sort of like Tilda Swinton, but sort of like how Tilda Swinton plays a very, very, very old woman. I could see Mandy Moore in a lot of makeup playing somebody we aren't expecting at all. Um, let me just add real quick. I, something you made me think of is uh, you mentioned Riverdale. I haven't watched Riverdale, but of course that makes me think of I have watched The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Mm. So that just made me think, oh, throw uh, Kiernan Shipka in there too. Yeah, sure. She's great. That makes me think of Mad Men. Of course, she played Don Draper's little daughter. Throw John Hamm in there too. I don't think he's too handsome. John Hamm would be perfect for that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's, yeah. Especially because we know he's funny. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he's been on some, like, comedy-related stuff that we listen to. Bridesmaids and Comedy Bang Bang and... That one uh, perfect episode of Spontaneous Nation. Of course, yes. And um, throw John Slattery in there. Mm-hmm. He's great. John Slattery yes. should work with uh, Wes Anderson too. But of course, we know the Mad Men Wes Anderson crossover has already begun because Elizabeth Moss is in yes. uh, French Dispatch, mm-hmm. which we will look forward to. And... Um, now, since we haven't seen the French Dispatch, we have only nine films mm-hmm. uh, to rank. So it's it's the moment we've all been waiting for. Liz, do you want to start with your rankings? And then I'll... I should absolutely go first since I'm less yep. of a surprise. Yep. I wrote this down. My final rankings are Life Aquatic. Of course. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Darjeeling Limited. Mm. Grand Budapest. Mm. Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. Rushmore, Isle of Dogs, Bottle Rocket. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting list. Um, we have some similarities. Um, in some ways, of course, you're, you're dead wrong. But um... the one comment I want to say is mm-hmm. that, which I think we've talked about this, but like, we pretty much liked all of these movies. Oh, yeah, I like all of them. I put Grand Budapest, I feel like maybe Grand Budapest wasn't in this position last week and I couldn't remember, but I mm. Grand Budapest is dead in the middle and I just feel neutral about that movie mm-hmm. <laughs> comparatively to the other ones where it feels so good to me and yet I can't seem to really dig my name, I can't seem to find the emotional resonance I really want. Yeah. And I just think I need time and that's why I put it that that one there. Yeah. No, I think that that's a fair point and that's really interesting ranking it above Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore is nutso, but uh, <laughs> that's just my personal opinion, which you'll see reflected in my own rankings. So mm-hmm. um, I'll just say, you know, it has helped, you know, I talked about the trilogy of trilogies all throughout this. It helps me to categorize these things. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, of these nine movies, Wes Anderson has made three 10 out of 10 movies, mm-hmm. three nine out of 10 movies Mm -hmm. and three other movies. Mm -hmm. But I like all of them. Yes. And I'll start at the bottom. The bottom Mm -hmm. is obviously Bottle Rocket, a film that I liked fine, but I probably won't ever take the time to rewatch it. Mm -hmm. Above that in my number eight spot is a movie that (laughs) I don't think I will rewatch. However, it has parts that I really like. Mm-hmm. Now, if I ever rewatch it, I'll probably just rewatch like one or two key scenes. 
Mm-hmm. And that is the movie The Life Aquatic with Steve <laughs> Zissou. Unless you're with me and then you would watch it again. Sure, yes. Um, if I was like, Will, I'm dying. Will you sit with me on my deathbed and watch this movie? Right. <laughs> yes, I would I would uh, indulge that. So Bottle Rocket is like a 6 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Life Aquatic is a 7 for me. 8 out of 10, as we talked about last week. A movie that I may rewatch. If I do, it'll be purely for the visual spectacle. Mm-hmm. Isle of Dogs is my number seven. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the nine out of ten block. Mm-hmm. Number six for me is Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay. Yeah. A movie I love to watch. It just doesn't hit me. You know, it doesn't tug my heartstrings mm-hmm. in the same way as the ones above it. Number five is the Darjeeling Limited. Mm-hmm. And number four is Rushmore. Okay. Those three are are nine out of ten for mm-hmm. me. And then the top three, ten out of ten. Number three is Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. Correct. Number, number two this yeah, this is <laughs> we both have Moonrise Kingdom at number three, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Number two is Royal Tannenbaums. Uh-huh. Um, which I, I wanted to say that I think that there's a lot of ways a movie can be great. A lot of things that a great movie can be something that they've been repeating a lot on the blank check podcast is that, um, David Reese, uh, was the guest on their spirited away episode. And he said, um, I think all great movies are either puzzles or dreams. And they, that's been useful for them to like frame movies that way. And it is useful, but it's also like, there's a million different ways to reduce, stories down to you know so few categories there's like mm-hmm. man versus man man versus nature man versus himself or you know the three stories or actually yeah. or is it the two stories uh which are uh, uh a man goes on a journey or a stranger comes to town those are the two yeah. stories or is it just one story and they're all there was a nest and we were in it and then we were kicked out of it <laughs> um the 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 uh, uh, the thing to me that uh, like, okay, a movie can also be a great movie and it, the thing it can be is a collage. Mm-hmm. And I like to think of the Royal Tenenbaums as a collage, like a, just a great, perfect collage of mm-hmm. all of these disparate elements. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess... Maybe I'm describing a puzzle, and that's one of the two things in David Reese's thing. So. <laughs> uh, but a jigsaw puzzle, not like a puzzle mm-hmm. box, which I think is more yes. what he was referring to. Um, and then number one, obviously, uh, the movie that I think is Wes Anderson's uh, masterpiece is uh, yes. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes. That's my yeah, number one. And- I can't really disagree with you there, honestly. Yeah. It was Except your for number. The life aquatic, yeah. but. It was your Fantastic Mr. Fox is your number two. Which is another way of saying that it's number one, because mm-hmm. as as we've said, Life Aquatic is uh, is your your outsized attachment. Mm-hmm. That's uh, you know. God, do we that's have nothing all... else to say about Wes Anderson? I'm... I can talk more about the Life Aquatic if you want. Oh really? Oh, <laughs> I I never would have guessed. <laughs> that would be really helpful, but maybe for another day. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I wanted to talk a little bit about the future, but I'll just do the abbreviated version of that by saying, mm-hmm. um, if if this is uh, if this sounds good to you, Liz, 
I would I would say look for us on Twitch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Twitch.tv slash smugbuds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried it in the past. When we did it in the past, I was using PlayStation and mm-hmm. we had some fun, but it also had some uh, challenges. Weirdness. Yep. Um, we're going to do it on PC now. And uh, I think uh, good good things are ahead for that. Hopefully. Yeah, we did a we did a test and I don't even know what happened, but it worked great. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think it was a really <laughs> successful test and it made me very optimistic. So yeah, uh, I think we'll we may do some fun video game streams in the near future. Mm-hmm. And that concludes Wes and until we get to the watch French the French dispatch. dispatch. And then we will have an addendum. Yes. Yes. A true bonus. The yes. the second bonus. How much money would you pay to see the French Dispatch? Like mm. if it was like video on demand? Is it a purchase or a rental? A rental because it's like a premiere situation. Right. It's like a buying a movie ticket. Yeah. I'm just curious. Um $50. I was going to say I think 50. Yeah. would be the max. Mm-hmm. If it was 30, I would be like fine. Yeah. But I would probably invite my brother over so we could all watch it together. Right. Yeah. On this, we can agree. (laughs) Well, Will, I'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye. Love you. Love you. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, ElizabethDeannaMorrisLakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.